Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. On today's episode, I want to start by talking about the NFL coaching cycle. Recently, we've seen a lot of coaching jobs and GM jobs get filled in the NFL, so I want to talk about all of that. I also want to talk about the conference championship games of the NFL playoffs between the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Lions and the 49ers. And then after that, to close out the podcast, I want to talk about this recent scoring boom that we've seen in the NBA. Over the last week, we've seen some pretty crazy scoring performances in the NBA. I want to talk about why that's happening, why offenses in the NBA have gotten so good, what we can do to kind of bring back defense in the NBA, and whether or not all of this is actually a problem. This is what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, let's kick off this episode of the podcast by talking about the NFL coaching cycle. As I mentioned in the intro, we've seen a lot of uh, coaching jobs and GM jobs get filled in the NFL recently, so I want to give an update on all of those moves. Let me go ahead and pull up um, a link to a story listing all of these hires, and we'll go uh, team by team and talk about all of the moves and all the hires that have been made over the last couple of weeks. So let's start off with the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to save the Falcons for last because I am a Falcons fan and I'm going to talk about that a lot. So I want to save that for the end. I don't want to be too much of a homer. So let's go ahead and start off with the Buffalo Bills. Recently, they promoted their, uh, I think it was their quarterback's coach, Joe Brady, uh, to, to be their offensive coordinator. I don't know actually what role he was he he had filled before, but now he is their offensive coordinator. He was their interim offensive coordinator a, uh, after they fired Ken Dorsey midseason. And this was an interesting hire, an interesting move, because their offense actually got worse under Joe Brady. It got worse after they fired uh, Ken Dorsey. So this is a very interesting move. Not sure how it's going to work moving forward. Um, I know that like they, they were running the ball more under Joe Brady and their offense was less efficient. So we'll see how that works out moving forward. But that was definitely an interesting move. Not sure if I really liked that decision, but we'll, like I said, we'll see how that works. Um, next up, we have the Carolina Panthers who uh, got a new head coach, and they hired Dave Canales, who was the OC for the Buccaneers. Canales was awesome in Tampa Bay. Their offense was really good. Baker Mayfield um, had like a resurgence in Tampa Bay. He was awesome this year, so I like that move. Uh, Canales is a young guy. Um, I, I think he's a smart coach. I like that move. And they also promoted Dan Morgan to be their GM. I believe that he was their assistant GM. Um, so now he is going to be their GM. Um, so some some big moves there in Carolina. Hopefully they can get that team back on track because we all know Carolina desperately needs that. And then we have the Chicago uh, the Chicago Bears who hired Shane Waldron to be their offensive, uh, offensive coordinator. Eric Washington to be their defensive coordinator. And Kerry Joseph to be their quarterback's coach. Um, Shane Waldron was with the Seahawks. We'll see, um, how he does with their quarterback, whether it be Justin Fields or a rookie. We'll see what that offense looks like next year. Hopefully they have a lot of success. Um, and, um, I think, let's see, yeah, Eric Washington was the former Bills assistant head coach and their defensive lines coach. So, um, like that hire, he had, he had some success in Buffalo, like that, like those moves. 
Next up, we have the Cincinnati Bengals. They promoted their quarterback's coach, uh, Dan Pitcher, to be their offensive coordinator. Their offensive coordinator took a head coaching job. We'll talk about that later. So we'll see how Pitcher does in Cincinnati um, as the OC. Now we have the Cleveland Browns. They hired former Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey to be their OC. I talked about Dorsey just a minute ago. I like this hire. He was very, very successful in Buffalo. Um, and that is a bit easier when you have Josh Allen as your quarterback. But I liked what he did there. I think this is a great move for Cleveland. And then they also hired Jacquez uh, Cesare. I hope I pronounced that correctly to be their next defensive lines coach, um, so that's cool. Next up, we have Jacksonville Jaguars. They hired Falcons DC Ryan Nielsen to be their DC. I hated that. He was an awesome coach in Atlanta. Their defense was awesome under Nielsen, so this is an excellent hire for the Jaguars. I like that a lot. And they also um, they also got a linebackers coach, Matt House, Um and I don't know where he was from or if he got promoted, but Matt House is now their linebackers coach. Moving on, we got the Las Vegas Raiders. They hired Antonio Pierce to be their head coach full-time. He was their interim head coach. The players loved him, and so I like that move a lot. They also hired Tom Telesco to be their GM. Tom Telesco was the GM with the Chargers. And I'm not sure I like this move. Uh, Telesco... Didn't have a ton of success with the Chargers. He signed a lot of big names, but those big names didn't really pan out in Los Angeles. So I'm not sure what to make of Tom Telesco as a GM. I'm not sure I really like him. And so this hire, I don't love it. Don't love it. But I do like the hire of Antonio Pierce. I thought that was an excellent move. And I like that for the Raiders. Next up, we have the Los Angeles Chargers, who hired Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. I like this move. Um, Harbaugh has, has has had success in the NFL, also had a lot of success in college, and is coming off a national championship with Michigan. Um, we'll see what he is able to do with this roster. They're not going to be good right away. At least I don't th- I don't think so. They're going to have a lot of changes with their roster. They're going to be cutting a lot of players during the offseason potentially trading some players, and so I think they're going to have to go through a little bit of a rebuild. Uh, Not a huge rebuild, not a complete rebuild, but I do think they're going to have to be kind of bad for a little bit before they can be competitive, so we'll see what Jim Harbaugh does there in Los Angeles. I do like this hire. Um, I thought it was a good move. Next up, we have the New England Patriots. They got a new head coach after letting go of Bill Belichick, hiring Jared Mayo. And I think Jared Mayo was their linebackers coach. Yes, he was. It says here he was their linebackers coach, um, and now he is their head coach. We'll see how he does there. Um, not sure what to make of that because um, he hasn't been a head coach before. So we'll see how he does in that role. They also got a DC in Demarcus Covington. Let me see where he was. Um, okay, so he was their defensive line coach. He is now their DC, so he got promoted. So that's cool. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how Jared Mayo does there in New England. Now we have the Giants. Uh, they hired Michael uh, Gobriel to be their special teams coordinator. Once again, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I did not. Um, he was uh, previously the assistant special teams coach for the Jets. 
not going to lie, I don't know much about special teams coaches, so um, hopefully this is a good move, and we'll see how it works out. Now we have the Philadelphia Eagles, who made some some really interesting moves with their coordinator positions. I'm going to get a drink real quickly, or real quick. So, they hired first their DC. They, uh, they hired Vic Fangio to fill that spot. I like that move. I was a bit surprised that the Dolphins uh, moved on from Fangio and let him go, but he now lands in Philadelphia. I like that hire. The Eagles defense was just terrible last season. I, I, I hate to be blunt, but there's no other way to put it. Their defense was really bad last year, and I think Fangio will be able to do some good things there. I love that hire. And they also filled their OC position by hiring former Chargers offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. Don't know how to feel about this hire. Um, Kellen Moore hasn't had a great track record as a play caller in the NFL. His his team's offenses um, tend to get better once he leaves, and so because of that, I'm just not sure that he is that great of an offensive coordinator and that great of a play caller. We'll see how he does in Philadelphia, but honestly, didn't love that hire, but I loved the Vic Fangio hire. I thought that was a great hire, and I think he will be able to do some great things with their defense, like I've said many times. All right, now we can talk about the Tennessee Titans, who hired head coach, um, or sorry, who hired former Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan to be their head coach. I like this move. Um, very interesting decision here. I thought they may go after a, a young guy like uh, Bobby Slowick. Um, I thought he might get the job, but they ended up going after Brian Callahan. And the Bengals offense has been really good over the last couple of years, so I like this move. I think this is a, a solid hire there. Then we have the Commanders, and this is um, one of the last moves we'll talk about. They hired a GM in Adam Peters. He was the assistant general manager uh, for the 49ers. Awesome hire. Love that. The 49ers are a well-run organization. They are a smart team, and I think this was an awesome hire. Love it. And now that, um, so we'll talk about this later, but now that the Lions and the Ravens are out of the playoffs, the commanders should be making a, a head coaching hire soon. Um, I know a lot of people are expecting them to uh, hire Ben Johnson, who was the OC for the Lions. If they do that, uh, this will be some uh, a pair of home run hires for them, getting Adam Peters to be their GM and Ben Johnson to be their head coach. If they do that, that would be awesome, and they would be on the right track to becoming a good team. Um, before we move on and talk about the conference championship games, I want to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, my favorite team. They made some big moves. First, hiring head coach, um, or firing uh, former Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris to be their head coach. Raheem Morris actually used to be on our staff a few years ago when Dan Quinn was fired. Uh, they hired Raheem Morris to be our um, interim head coach, or they didn't really hire him, but they let him be the interim head coach. Uh, the team wasn't great, and so his record wasn't great there, but everyone has had great things to say about him. Um, Jalen Ramsey was praising him on Twitter. Mike Tomlin on a podcast a few years ago praised him, said that he was a great head coach. I think he actually said that he was the best coach that he knew who had not been given a head or who, or who at the time was not a head coach. And so I like this hire. Um, I was 
personally preferring that we hire Bobby Slowick, the OC for the Texans, or Ben Johnson, the OC for the Lions, but I think this is a good move. Everyone seems to like Raheem Morris a lot, and honestly, I just wanted anybody but Bill Belichick. I knew Belichick was going to want too much power, and so I'm glad they hired Raheem Morris, and on top of that, our owner, Arthur Blank, announced that our CEO, uh, Rich McKay, would not have as much power as he did previously. He would not be as involved in the day-to-day football operations, which is a good thing. That's awesome. I love to hear it. Another big move that the Falcons made was hiring former Rams. Uh, I think he was the quarterback's coach. Yes, he was. And he is now our OC. Love that move. He was um, very involved there in Los Angeles. Played a big role with some of their um, uh, veteran quarterbacks like um, Baker Mayfield, who had a little bit of success in Los Angeles. And obviously, he got the coach under um, Sean McVay one of the better coaches in the NFL, so I love those moves. I think these were two really good hires. Um, of course, Raheem Mahorris, a lot of people were a bit critical of him because of his time as the head coach with the Buccaneers from 2009 to 2011, but I like him. I think he's a good guy. Everyone seems to like him. Everyone who's been around him or played under him seems to think that he is an awesome coach, so I like that. Um, and I'm very interested in Zach Robinson, not only because of what he did with the Rams, but also because he is a former PFF analyst, and I am a huge nerd who likes PFF, who loves using their data, so um, I think that his expertise will be very, very useful in Atlanta, and I can't wait to see what he does with our offense. All right. That's it for the uh, NFL coaching cycle and all the hires that were made in the NFL over the last couple of weeks. Um, Next up, I'm going to talk about the conference championship games in the NFL playoffs. Before I do that, I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be right back in just a second. All right, now we can talk about the conference championship games, and we're going to start off by talking about Chiefs versus Ravens because that was the first game that was played this weekend. Um, Of course, Chiefs won 17-10, and this was a very interesting game for a lot of different reasons. The beginning of the game was incredible. The start was awesome. The first quarter-ish, like the first quarter and the first couple minutes of the second quarter were amazing. Both quarterbacks were playing out of their minds. Um... The Chiefs scored first. Uh, Patrick Mahomes made some huge throws on that first drive. He had a crazy throw to Travis Kelsey that I think was on fourth down, if I'm remembering correctly. And then he had had an awesome touchdown throw to Travis Kelsey in the end zone. It was an awesome throw on the money, and it was a great catch by Travis Kelsey. And then Lamar Jackson had some big plays of his own um, in the first quarter, in the first half in general. He had a crazy throw to um, to Zay Flowers in the end zone. He evaded the sack, and then made an awesome throw in the back of the end zone to, to Flowers. Um, he also had a big run in the first half. It was a design quarterback run, um, and he got a big gain. For whatever reason, I don't know if he's lost a little bit of long speed, but he wasn't able to to break off a huge run and get into the end zone, but it was still a very impressive run from him. Um, and the score was 14-7 to early in the second quarter. The second quarter was a defensive battle. Neither team was able to do much, but the Chiefs went on to kick a field goal to go up 17-7 to 
at the half. So they were up 10 points um, at halftime. Honestly, they should have been up by more um, because at one point, Lamar had a crucial fumble. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, the Chiefs, I think they went for it on fourth down at one point um, on the Ravens side of the field, didn't get it. Um, and so because of those two plays, the, the Chiefs, they should have been up by more and they were dominant. Like their advanced numbers were great in the first half. Like they were, uh, they were way, they were doing a much better job of moving the ball down the field and moving the ball consistently than the Ravens. And the Ravens offense looked bad in the first half and it looked even worse in the second half. Their offense, I've got a lot to say about that. We'll, we'll get there in a minute because I got a lot to say about not only Lamar Jackson and their offensive players, but also their OC, Todd Monken, who was freaking terrible, just to be completely honest. Um, so, um, in, in the second half was a defensive battle. Neither team could move the ball. Neither team. The Chiefs were pretty good offensively in the first half, but in the second half, they couldn't move the ball much, but neither could the Ravens, so it didn't really matter. Um, and this is where I'm going to talk about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was bad in this game. Not good. He really struggled in the, in the second half uh, specifically. You know, of course, he had a fumble in the first half. He also had an interception late in the fourth quarter. Um, and I, I feel like at, at times... He was trying to make big throws down the field too much. Wasn't scrambling enough. Um, and Todd Monken was an issue as well. He abandoned the run way too quickly. And he threw the ball way too much. And I, I actually want to look up how many pass attempts they had versus how many rush attempts they had. Because it was crazy. So, let's see. Um, they had... 39 pass attempts, or sorry, 37 pass attempts compared to just 16 rushes. And this is a team that relies on their run game, and they just completely abandoned the run game in the second half. Now, I am a nerd who, who thinks that teams should pass the ball more than they run, generally. But the, running the ball is the strength of the Ravens' offense. And they, like, completely abandoned it in the second half. And I did not understand it whatsoever. I thought they played um, into what the uh, Chiefs wanted to do defensively. They didn't, there was no um, variety with their offense. It was very, very predictable. And it's why they couldn't do anything. It's why they couldn't move the ball consistently. It's why they didn't get a lot of big plays in the second half, or really at all in this game. And I thought that was a huge, huge misstep from their OC Todd Munkin, who has been awesome this year, but he was not in this game. Um, and there were some some big, big um, missteps by the, the Ravens' offense and some of their players, like Zay Flowers. There was one drive where he caught a huge throw down the field, made a big play, and then he had a taunting penalty. And I, I hate I hate taunting penalties, honestly. Um, I wish that players could taunt, and I kind of hated the taunting penalty in a game like this, but he did taunt. Like, it was very clearly taunting, and you know what? He probably shouldn't have done that, and that's bad on him, but then at, at um, I think a few plays later on that drive, he was diving into the end zone. He caught a pass, was diving into the end zone, and Legereus Sneed made a great play on the ball, forced a fumble, um, and went into the end zone. Uh, the Chiefs recovered, and so they got the ball. Um, and that was just two 
huge bad plays from Zay Flowers, who was having a good day other than that, but still, those were huge plays that really hurt the Ravens. Um, but overall, the Ravens' offense in the second half was just bad. It wasn't good. Um, their offense really struggled. And I got to give a huge shout-out to Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator. He was a monster in this game. He was great. Um, they got a lot of pressure. Um, they made some big plays, and they forced three turnovers. And their defense has been awesome throughout the playoffs. Um, and that, that continued in this game. He's been awesome. Their defense has been awesome. Their defense has been a huge reason why they've been so good in the playoffs. And I thought he deserves a lot of credit. And at one point during this game, I was thinking, how has he not been interviewed for a head coaching job over the last couple of years? I know he had a bad run. I think it was with the Rams. He was their head coach a few years ago. But man, he's been awesome with the Chiefs. And the fact that they've been able to keep him as their defensive coordinator for so long is really incredible. It's amazing. He's been awesome. I also have to give a huge shout out to Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Those guys were awesome yesterday. They've been great during the playoffs. Those guys have been playing out of their minds. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I don't know how he does it, but he keeps on doing it. He continues to play extremely well in the playoffs, even with the worst supporting cast that he has had as a member of the Chiefs. He's been great. And the fact that this team is in the Super Bowl is pretty incredible. Now, before I move on to the next game, I want to talk about Lamar Jackson a little bit more. I know the I know the discourse with Lamar is gonna be terrible, and people are gonna are gonna kill him for the way that he played yesterday and the way that he played that in the way that he has played in the playoffs throughout the early parts of his career. And some people are gonna take it too far and use this as a reason to say that he is not good and is not one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't believe that is true. I think Lamar Jackson is elite. I think he's awesome, and he was not good yesterday, and that is, both things can be true. However, I also think we have to be critical of him for the way that he's been playing in the playoffs, and I don't think that is unfair. And I do think that that some members of the media, a lot of members of the media, don't criticize him the way that they should. They do not hold him to the standard that we should hold elite quarterbacks in the NFL. That's just the way that I feel. I think a lot of people are, they coddle Lamar Jackson a little bit too much in my opinion, when honestly, his numbers in the playoffs throughout the early parts of his career have been awful. They've been terrible. And I know that Bucks score numbers are not the best indication of a quarterback's performance, but his box score numbers have been terrible. But so is his efficiency. Like, he's not been a very efficient quarterback in the playoffs. He's been turnover prone. And yesterday, if you watch the game, you know that he was terrible. He wasn't good. And that's just a fact. And I know that sounds blunt, but guess what? That's just the truth. He was not good yesterday. He really hurt his team. He was not good against the Chiefs, and he largely hasn't been good in the postseason to start his career. And obviously, he's a younger guy. He's still got a lot of a lot of his career left to play. But still, we've got to be honest about his playoff performance and just call a spade a spade. He's not a good playoff performer, and he hasn't been like really at all. He he was great against the Texans last week. 
But before that, he had not had a lot of consistently good performances in the playoffs. And this is a small sample size. And that's a, a big reason why I do um, give him some leeway and why I, I don't just kill him for this. But still, he's got to be better in the playoffs. He has to be better as an individual player in the playoffs. And I'm not saying this because the Ravens haven't won enough in the playoffs. That's what, not why I'm being critical of him. I'm being critical of him because his individual performance has not been good enough in the postseason. He's got to be better, and I think at one point he will be, and he will get to a point where he is consistently very good in the playoffs, but right now he just hasn't been, and that's the truth, and I'm going to say it because I feel like not a lot of people are going to be as critical of him as they should be, and I love Lamar Jackson. I'm a huge fan of his. I, I mean, I, I've already said that he should be the MVP this year, but still, performances like this cannot go unnoticed and cannot go unchecked. Like, we've got to be honest about the way he performed. And I think Lamar Jackson himself would tell you that he expects to play better. And I think that he holds him to a, he holds a, he, sorry, I think he, he holds himself to a very high standard. And I think he would tell you the same things I am telling you today. All right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna crap on Lamar Jackson too much. I'm gonna go ahead and move on, talk about the Lions 49ers game. Uh, 49ers won this game 34 to 31, and this was an incredible game. An awesome matchup. Um, came down to the wire, and I, th I thought this was an amazing game. So let's start off by talking about the beginning of this game. Uh, the game script for the Lions was incredible. Ben Johnson's game plan was phenomenal. I gotta give him a round of applause. That dude was freaking incredible. He was cooking, especially at the beginning of this game. At the beginning, like in the first quarter, the Lions had so much success running the ball and throwing the ball, and they scored 14 points on their first two possessions, which was huge. Um, and they actually scored on four of their five possessions in the first half, which is incredible. And at halftime, they were up 24-7, to largely because of their offense. Of course, their defense was good too. Their defense made some big plays, but their offense was incredible in the first half, and I got to give a huge shout out to Ben Johnson, he was incredible, and he was cooking, um, and then the 49ers, on the other hand, they really, really struggled offensively in the first half, uh, they had a touchdown, but they also missed a field goal, and they threw an interception, Brock Purdy had an interception, um, where his hand was hit as he threw, that, uh, caused the ball to just, like, flutter through the air, and it ended up, uh, being picked off, um, and I don't know if that led to points, I can't remember what happened directly after that, but those two plays, uh, were huge, um, and really hurt the 49ers offense, um, and then one thing I wanted to discuss before I move on and talk about the second half, I wanted to talk about Dan Campbell's decision to kick, to kick a field goal right before halftime, which put the Lions up 24 to 7, and I'm going to talk a lot about Dan Campbell's decisions that he made in this game because everyone's been talking about it on social media, and so this was the first decision that people were talking about where he potentially made a mistake. So right before halftime, there were a few seconds left, and um, the Lions had the ball inside the 49ers 10-yard line. They were looking to score, and instead, and they had like a fourth down, and they were like inside the five at this point. They were like 
almost on the goal line. And they ended up deciding to kick a field goal instead of going for it to go for a touchdown. And people were kind of critical of him for that. Like, if you were going to be as aggressive as he was for the rest of the game, why not be aggressive there and go for the touchdown? And I understand that thinking. And as someone who is very analytical and, and loves it when coaches are aggressive, you would probably expect me to say that he should have gone for it. But this is a different situation than, than other situations. Right here, there was only a few seconds left, so there was no chance for them to get the ball back. And the 49ers were going to get the ball to start the second half. And usually when you're in that situation where you're on the goal line and you have fourth and goal, um, it's smart to go for it because um, you can uh, get the ball back uh, and also your opponent gets bad field position. But that field position doesn't really come to play in this situation because there was like less than 10, I think less than 10 seconds left in the first half. Maybe it, it was more, but um, there was so little time left that the 49ers ended up just running the clock out and going into halftime. And so field position doesn't really come into play here. And if you don't get any points, you're only up 14. Uh, the 49ers get a little bit of momentum going into the second half. If they score a touchdown on their first drive of the second half, um, it's going to be a, a one-possession game. And because of that, and because field position doesn't really come into play here, I liked the move to kick a field goal, and I thought it was smart. Obviously, I think it would have made sense for him to go for it and to go for a touchdown, uh, which could have put them uh, up 21 to nothing and really given them a big swing in terms of win percentage um, or win probability. But I, I thought the move made sense, and I'm not going to kill Dan Campbell for that. I thought it made sense and was a, a, a clearly defensible move. Um, I think you could say that he should have gone for it, but I also think the decision to kick the field goal made sense with everything I talked about. Um, and also, something I wanted to point out, a few years ago, uh, and Brandon Staley had a situation like this versus the Chiefs, where he was up and elected to go for it right before the half, he didn't get it, didn't get the touchdown, and it killed him, and he ended up losing the game, and people were very critical of him for that, I know this is a very different situation, it's a playoff game, not the same situation, but that is something I wanted to point out, that Brandon Staley did something similar to this a few years ago against the Chiefs and it backfired um, and it was uh, partially a reason why they lost that game. Alright, let's go ahead and move on, talk about the second half. So the second half was a lot different than the first half. In the first half, the Lions were amazing offensively um, and the 49ers could not score at all. But in the second half, it was like the complete opposite. The 49ers offense was much better and the Lions offense really, really struggled and, ha and had a lot of major issues. So the first four drives after halftime resulted in either a turnover on downs, a punt, or a fumble for the Lions. And there were some huge plays in the second half um, for the Lions. Uh, there was a drop from Josh Reynolds on a fourth down while the Lions were up 24-10. to 10. A lot of people were critical of Dan Campbell for even going for it in this, in this position, but... It was uh, kind of a long field goal. I think it was a 45-yard field goal or would have been a 45-yard field goal. Their kicker isn't amazing. Um, they were up 14 at this point. They wanted to be aggressive. Um, and I know a lot of fourth down models were like a slight, a slight um, 
they were kind of slightly suggesting that they should have gone for it there. They went for it. Had Had a good play call where Josh Reynolds was open. He got his hands on the ball. The throw wasn't perfect, but he should have caught it. He dropped it. And I thought it was a good process, just bad execution on the play. But I don't understand why people say they should have kicked a field goal there. I think, like like with the play right before halftime, I think there are good arguments for both sides. I think the Lions and Dan Campbell, they like to be aggressive. They love to be aggressive. And they were going to be aggressive here. And it just didn't work out. And there were other other big plays that were actually bigger issues here in the second half. Um, like, right after this, or shortly after this, uh, the 49ers had a deep bomb to Brandon Ayuk that bounced off the hands and the face of uh, one of the Lions defensive backs, Kendall Vildor. Brandon Ayuk ended up catching it, and then that gave the 49ers the ball. I think inside the 10-yard line, they ended up scoring to make um, to make the score 24-17. to And then after that, Jameer Gibbs fumbled, and that fumble ended up leading to a touchdown for the 49ers, and then late in the game, um, in the fourth quarter, the Lions had a fourth down um, in in the 49ers territory. They could have kicked a long field goal that I think would have been a 48-yard field goal, um, and the Lions were down 27-24 and at that point, so it would have made sense for them to kick the field goal, um, but they elected to go for it. They didn't get it. Um, it was bad execution. And th- I think th- that it makes more sense for people to be more, to be critical of this decision to go for it on this fourth down. But I understood it. And a lot of people were looking at the numbers for what the likelihood of them making the field goal was. And I think it did make sense for them to go for it here because the odds of them uh, making the field goal were honestly pretty similar to the odds of them uh, getting the fourth down conversion here Uh, because um, their kicker, I think his name's Michael uh, Bagley, um, he's not that great kicking long field goals, hasn't been over the last couple of years and hasn't been throughout his career. And so, you, based on the numbers, it did make sense for them to go for it here, but that was a huge risk. It was risky. And obviously, Dan Campbell knows that. We all know it watching at home. It's risky uh, because you're risking not scoring points there um, and giving uh, your opponent the ball in, in decent field position. That's what happened. They filled the fourth down conversion. The 49ers went down the field. They scored. Uh, they scored a touchdown to go up double digits. The Lions were able to come back and score a touchdown themselves. But at that point, there just wasn't enough time on the clock. And the 49ers were able to win the game. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, I know I've been focusing on the Lions a lot. I did want to give a huge shout out to uh, the 49ers offense. They scored 27 points in the second half which was huge, and Brock Purdy, although he was up and down this game, had some bad throws and bad moments, like he had the interception in the first half. He had uh, a throw that should have been a pick on that deep bomb to Brandon Ayuk, but despite that, he had some huge plays in the second half. He had some big throws, or sorry, some big runs that picked up for, uh, first downs. He had some throws outside of structure that were really good, and he made some big plays when the 49ers uh, needed it the most, and for that, he deserves a lot of credit. Now, I do want to point out 
that he wasn't great in this game. He wasn't great in the last game against the Packers. And honestly, he's been pretty shaky in the playoffs. But when the 49ers have needed, to, uh, have needed him to make big plays, he's come through, which is huge. And I think the fact that he, as a seventh-round pick, has come into the NFL, played so well early on, and led the 49ers to a Super Bowl in just his second or third season is really impressive. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think his story is incredible. So I wanted to say that I wanted to, you know, point out that he has been up and down in the playoffs this year. But I also wanted to give him a lot of credit because he has made some big plays in these games. And his story is really, really cool. Um, and the fact that he is in the Super Bowl right now is incredible. That's really impressive. I want to go back and talk about some of the fourth down decisions that Dan Campbell made. Because there was a, another point that I wanted to make regarding this. A lot of people have been focusing on this. On, on these fourth down decisions as the reason why the Lions lost the game. And they played a part. They did. There's no denying that. These decisions led to the Lions not getting points. And because of that, that did um, contribute to the Lions losing this game. However, there were other plays that were way bigger reasons why the Lions ended up losing. Like the, the Jameer Gibbs fumble. Like the Josh Reynolds drop on fourth down. Like the Kendall Builder dropped interception that led to a huge catch from Brandon Ayuk and then led to a touchdown. And also going back to the Jameer Gibbs fumble, that play led to a touchdown for the 49ers. And another issue with the Lions is their defense. Their defense was terrible in the second half. Not very good. Gave up 27 points in one half. That's bad. And so, a lot of people are going to focus on the fourth down decisions. And to some degree, they should. However, I think those fourth down decisions were defensible, and there's an, a, a very good argument to be made for why Dan Campbell made the decisions that he did. However, I also believe that there were much bigger issues in this game apart from the fourth down decisions, and there were much bigger plays that hurt the Lions more than those fourth down decisions. I don't want to focus on the fourth down decisions too much, but I did want to point that out, and I did want to say that and uh, give my two cents on the fourth down discourse, which honestly sucks, and I hate it because that was um, a big part of the game, but nowhere near as big of a, a, an issue as some of these other plays that I highlighted. Now, something I wanted to talk about. Will the Lions be back? I don't know. I don't know if the Lions are going to be back in this position again. Um, it's going to be hard to be this good again. And, and honestly, something I wanted to note, the Lions did have a very, a very favorable, um, some very favorable, favorable matchups in the playoffs up to this point. And they played well. I'm not, I'm not taking away any credit from them, but they did have some favorable matchups up to the NFC championship. And, they played really well in the playoffs. They kind of overperformed to my expectations. And because of that, I'm just not sure that they are going to be back in this position a year from now. It's going to be hard. Maybe they can. Maybe they can get back to this point. But they're losing their, their great OC. Um, and in general, it's really hard to have deep playoff runs in back-to-back -back years. The 49ers, they're an outlier. And for the Lions to, to make it back to this spot a year from now, 
it would be surprising. And honestly, I, I hate to be a Lions hater, but I would bet against it. But we'll see. This is a talented team with some good coaches. Um, we'll see how they uh, come back from losing their offensive coordinator and losing a game like this where they did uh, blow a very big lead in the second half. But this is a good team. They are led by a great coach in Dan Campbell. Um, they got a good quarterback in Jared Goff. We'll see where this team goes from here. Um, I do think it will be difficult for them to get back to this position uh, moving forward. But... This is a good team. They're in a good spot. And if I were a Lions fan, I would be proud of this team and the run they just had. All right. Those are my thoughts on the conference championship games. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the crazy uh, scoring bo uh, boom that we've seen in the NBA. Before I get into that, I'm going to take a quick break and I will be right back. Okay, let's close out the podcast by talking about the scoring boom that we've seen in the NBA over the last couple of years, and really specifically this season. Um, over the last like week or two, we've seen some crazy scoring performances in the NBA. Um, we saw Joel Embiid score 70 points in a game versus the Spurs. We saw Luka Doncic score 70 points in a game versus the Hawks. We saw um, uh, Carl Anthony Towns. He had 60 points against, um, I don't remember who he, um, uh, who he played that night, but he had 60 points in a game. We also uh, saw Devin Booker have a big scoring performance recently. And so recently we've just seen players have some crazy scoring nights and offenses in general have just been better. And scoring in the NBA in general has gotten ridiculous recently, um, Right now, the average, um, like the league average offensive rating in the NBA, that's how many points teams are scoring per 100 possessions. The league average offensive rating is the highest it's ever been. Um, which just basically means that teams ha are better offensively now than they've ever been throughout NBA history. Now, why is that? Why have offenses gotten so good? People have been discussing, discussing this recently, and I think there are a few reasons why offenses have gotten so good. I think the main reason why is that individual players have just gotten better. Like, the offensive talent in the NBA right now is the best it's ever been. Like, legitimately. It's crazy how good um, players are offensively in the NBA right now. And when you look at the league average um, three-point percentage across the entirety of the NBA, um, the league average three-point percentage right now is the highest it's ever been. And the same can be said for the league average free throw percentage. And so I think these stats show that... Um, that the shooting talent in the NBA is the best it's ever been. And that goes along with what I just said earlier, a minute or a second ago, that in general, players are better offensively than ever before. And I think that shows up in the shooting stats, like three-point percentage, free-throw percentage. It's crazy um, how good players are at shooting the basketball now. And that makes sense. I mean, basketball has been around forever. And players have gotten better and better and better at shooting the ball year after year. And so this evolution in shooting and offensive talent, it happens. And now it's just gotten to a point where players are just really, really good at putting the ball in the basket. And I think there are other reasons why 
offenses have gotten so good. Um, I think for one, rule changes. Um, in, in the early 2000s, hand checking got removed. Um, and that played a big role in, in offenses and, you know, individual players, uh, putting up better numbers, uh, scoring wise. Um, and I think that refs are a little bit more lenient with foul calls now. Um, fouls actually are called less than they were years ago. And that's largely because teams are attempting more jump shots and more three pointers than ever before. And so they aren't shooting as much at the rim, which leads to less free throw attempts. But you do see some players, um, that are, they foul hunt. They try to bait defenders into fouling them. And refs are a little bit lenient with that and I think that plays a little bit of a role in the scoring boom but not as much as other things like uh, just better offensive talent in the league um, and better shooting skill amongst um, players across the league. I think another another thing that has led to offenses being so good in the NBA is the increased usage of pick and rolls. Pick and rolls are very efficient, and teams use them a lot. Um, they're very efficient sets, and teams have gotten really good at them. Um, and teams are, are also really smart now uh, in terms of X's and O's. They are very smart with how often they use cuts, um, how often they use screens, pick and rolls, um, and that along with the fact that, that players are just better at shooting, that also leads to the improved uh, scoring that we see in the NBA. NBA today. So how can we bring back defense? Should we bring back defense? I personally would like to see um, the league kind of make some rule changes to improve um, or give defenses a better chance of stopping these historic modern offenses. I think one way to do that is by um, bringing back hand-checking, allowing a little bit more contact. And I don't want want this to get too crazy. I don't want to go back to the dark ages of the NBA, but I would like to see um, hand-checking. I want to see that come back. I would also like to see... Um, see referees call more offensive fouls when offensive players initiate contact. I would like to see that. So I think those are two major changes that I will, I would like to see uh, be made to the NBA um, because I like defense and, and I do like offense. And I think that the scoring boom is largely good for the NBA, but I would like to see um, the NBA promote defense and make some rule changes uh, to help that and to help uh, bring back defense into the NBA. Um, and something that I wrote down that I wanted to talk about, is this scoring boom a problem? Honestly, yes and no, but largely no. I think for the NBA as an entertainment product, it's not a problem whatsoever. Scoring is good for the NBA. It brings in viewers. It gets them better ratings. And for that, it's a great thing. But I think for more um, diehard viewers of the NBA, nerds like myself, I think guys like me would like to see more defense in the NBA. Um, and I, that's where there's a little bit of a problem here. Now, I do want to point out that there's like this lazy narrative that def that players are not trying on defense. That's not true. Not true at all. Like not even close to being true. Players are still trying hard on defense. But like I mentioned earlier, offensive players are just way better now than they've ever been. I mean, players are just 
freaking amazing offensively now, and it's really hard to stop. Um, but I, I would like to see the uh, NBA make some rule changes uh, to promote defense um, and to help improve uh, defense in the modern NBA. But I don't think that this cra- the crazy scoring that we've seen in the NBA recently, I don't think it's necessarily a problem. But I personally would like to see um, some more defense, and I would like to see the NBA kind of promote defense by making some rule changes, but that's just my personal opinion, and that is my thoughts um, on why I think scoring has gotten so crazy in the NBA today. Well, that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to hit me up on social media, you can reach me on Twitter at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N. M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. I'm on Twitter a lot, so you can reach me there. But yeah, that's that's all I have for y'all on today's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And I'll see y'all next time. Peace.